0: faces a choice. This is Battleground America. Here's Tara Servatius.
1: I swear this episode of Insane Things sounds more like House of the Dragon. I'm watching that right now. Just finished the first season. It was fantastic. We'll start with Insane Thing number six. Not that this will surprise anyone. Two twin announcements this week. The second, from the Pentagon, warns the next generation of extremist ISIS fighters are plotting a 2023 comeback. Well, of course they are. Oh, and the Pentagon warns they're pissed. Why are they pissed? Because back at the end of the Trump administration, Donald Trump partnered up, briefly, with Vladimir Putin. And destroyed their 40,000 strong caliphate. You know the one that John Kerry and Barack Obama were protecting. The one Barack Obama and John Kerry claimed we might never be able to get rid of. Yeah, it took Trump and Putin nine months. We wiped out their entire leadership. And they're pissed. Says who? Says the Pentagon. And they're coming back for revenge. A long-feared Islamic state resurgence might arrive this year, military officials and national security insiders warn, as conditions are brewing across the Middle East for the group's second coming as a major terrorist force and threat to global stability. Don't kid yourself. We could knock them out if we wanted to. We already did it once. Washington just likes to keep them around. But after Putin and Trump's strikes On their leaders in Syria and destruction of their caliphate killed several of the group's leaders and high-ranking officials. They've reconstituted. Oh, guess where? Where do you think? Afghanistan, silly. That was the whole point of leaving the Taliban in charge. They're allied with al-Qaeda and ISIS. You knew this was coming. And all while our borders are wide open and over 100 terrorists have been caught trying to enter the country in the last year. That's more than in the last five years combined. That was only the second shocking terrorist announcement this week. The first one came at the beginning of the week. It leaked out from the Department of Homeland Security where they were trying to hide it. Thanks to the whistleblower who leaked it to Judicial Watch. See, the Department of Homeland Security was just going to have you keep getting on those planes. None the wiser. They didn't want you to know that Al-Qaeda, according to the Department of Homeland Security, is planning plane attacks using new techniques and tactics. And why did the Department of Homeland Security not want you to know that? Why were they hiding it internally instead of announcing it? Because the Department of Homeland Security currently has the federal air marshals who are supposed to be running on planes as the last defense against these attacks. Well, oh, they've got them down at the border acting as uber drivers and baby bottle warmers for the illegal immigrant next wave of democrat voters. i had a pilot contact me this week after i talked about this he said what i was saying was right on he said he hasn't had an air marshal on his flight since this summer they're all down at the border so the federal air marshals union is suing the federal government on behalf of the air marshals who would just like to get back in the air and protect you from al-qaeda and folks This news about the air marshals being redeployed off the planes, that's been out there since this summer. So no surprise that Al-Qaeda is planning plane attacks using new techniques and tactics. Heck, don't be surprised if the Department of Homeland Security doesn't put the Al-Qaeda terrorists on the planes themselves. Because remember, these illegal immigrants don't have the documentation required of Americans to get on a plane to go through the TSA screening. So they sneak them through the back gates. Fox News has gotten them on video doing it. It's well documented. And given that we've caught over 100 of them trying to sneak across the border, and we've probably put several on planes ourselves, it's only a matter of time. Anyway, here's the head of the Federal Air Marshals Union and Todd Pyro flipping out over this earlier this week on Fox News. Sonia, Executive Director of the Air Marshal National Council, joins me now. Sonia, how much worse does
0: this decision to move our air marshals out of the sky and to the border look now that we have this al-Qaeda threat?
1: Well, Todd, it looks absolutely insane. Uh, We don't understand why these decisions are being made. The intel is clear. Al-Qaeda is watching for our weak areas. Our aviation is a high risk area. We're not protecting our aviation domain and we're going to the border. It is absolutely madness. It might be one thing if the air marshals were helping to repel the illegals and the terrorists hiding among them at the border, but they're not. Remember, the omnibus that was just passed by the Republican trader Mitch McConnell and Democrat Chuck Schumer uh, forbids even a cent of the border money to be used To repel anyone, terrorists, illegals, no, it's all going to be used to process them. Anyway, here's Pyro and the head of the air marshals flipping out over that. We have these brave men and women specifically trained to handle a tragedy or a potential tragedy in the skies. Yet these folks are on the border making sandwiches and serving as Uber drivers for migrants. Is that basically correct? That is correct. It's 100 percent correct. Why? This makes no sense. This this makes no sense. And, Todd, these are our families. You know, these our families are going to be flying these commercial craft that are going to be unprotected. This is going to impact us. Maybe the private jets and the people that um, the DHS secretary and maybe the White House travel in. Yeah, those will be safe, she goes on to say. Bottom line, they don't give a rip about the little people. And their terror attack only has an upside for them. Yep, enlarge the surveillance state, get more spy powers, Turn them against people like you and me. Win-win. Bottom line, if you're planning a trip somewhere, might want to drive. Insane thing number five. The Wall Street Journal admits in writing this week that if you've gotten the COVID vaccine, you're more likely to get COVID. Now we know why they pushed it. They wanted more waves, folks. But anyway, uh, quoting not one, but two prominent peer review studies in two world-class Journals, the Journal Nature and the New England Journal of Medicine. Yep, Wall Street Journal finally admits what I've been telling you for a year and a half. If you've had three COVID shots, you are three times as likely to get COVID. If you've had two, you are two times as likely. That's 200% more likely to get COVID than the unvaccinated. Wait, they threatened people's jobs if they wouldn't take a vaccine that it turns out. Makes you more likely to get sick? Yup. And folks, I've been telling you it degrades your immune system. And here's the thing. They only looked at in these studies whether it degrades your immune system's ability to fight COVID. Does it degrade, degrade your immune system's ability to fight other viruses? You bet. They just haven't admitted it yet. But that wasn't the only big COVID emission this week. The British Medical Journal A top five in the world medical journal, highly respected, published a letter from a world-famous oncologist saying that the shots are causing cancer. The letter of concern, which begged people not to get the shot, was written by a conspiracy theorist. No, by Dr. Angus Daglish. He's a professor of oncology at St. George's University of London. Then he warned that COVID boosters may be causing aggressive metastatic cancers that it is reversing what he called stable remission of cancers. And his source, some conspiracy group, no. Emory University researchers who recently published another study you've probably not heard about because the FBI censors these things for the CDC on social media. How ridiculous is that? That study found only 68% of non-Hodgkin lymphoma and chronic lymphocytic leukemia patients developed neutralizing antibodies after the second dose compared with 100% of healthy controls. This is literally giving people cancer back. And he writes that cancer rates have increased since the introduction of the COVID shot. And that patient after patient in stable remission is now suddenly experiencing explosive relapses triggering the appearance of new tumors, just listen to this, days or weeks after being forced to have a booster. Many of them, of course, forced to keep their jobs and to keep roofs over their family's heads. It is so sad. Folks, the question here, why was the FBI so damn dark determined you were going to take this shot that they censored people like this who only now are beginning to, to get back the credibility they should have had the whole time for their studies to appear in the pages of the Wall Street Journal and on social media without being interfered with. Unbelievable. As I pointed out this week, as we learned from the Twitter files, the only things censored by our federal government and our FBI on behalf of all of these federal agencies were truthful things. There was no actual disinformation censored, only the truth including about the shot. Insane thing number three, or should I say insane person? I'm absolutely fascinated by this, and we don't know her name yet. She goes by the initials DM in the Idaho murder indictment affidavit. I read all 19 pages of every word. I was glued because this is one of the most bizarre episodes of human behavior I have ever seen. For most of the coverage of the hunt for the Idaho killer, we were told that the two roommates who survived, four were brutally murdered uh, by knife, one probably by another weapon. We were told that the, uh, that the two surviving roommates slept through the whole attack. Not true. Just one of many details. The media got, well, flat wrong. In the bizarre indictment, we learn that DM, one of the roommates, heard what she thought was her other roommate playing with her dog in her room. Then she heard her cry out. She twice opened her bedroom door, looking out into the hall to see what was going on. She saw nothing. The third time she opened her bedroom door was because she heard somebody passing by. She looks out. It's a dude dressed all in black in a ski mask that covers every bit of his face, but his eyes. She said this scared her terribly, understandably. This would be terrifying to see in your own home. And that she went through a, quote, frozen shock phase, unquote. That's what she told investigators. What did she do? She saw him exit the house out a glass door and she quickly locked herself in her own room in fear. All right. Makes sense so far. But it's what happened next that is so utterly bizarre. She called 911, right? No. No, she didn't. No one called 911 for eight hours. Did she check on her roommates? After all, she'd heard one cry out. No, didn't bother. Even the killer himself appears surprised by this. He cruised by, we know because he had his cell phone on him and they checked the records. He cruised by around 9 a.m. to see if the bedlam had started the finding of the bodies, but there was nothing because Dingling Roommate still hadn't called. Now, since she said she didn't leave her room, we can only assume she didn't know there were bodies or even a murder, but she did know there was a cry. She did know that a guy exited the house. Wearing black and a ski mask. Do you think to check on them? Not according to her. She saw him leaving right after he left the final room. Could some of these kids been saved? Don't know. Everybody's trying to figure out what this woman's story is. And this could be why we've not heard from these roommates. This is absolutely inexplicable. You simply can't explain it. Here's Joseph Scott Morgan, a forensic expert on Fox, trying to make heads or tails of it. One question I still have, and I don't know if you can expound upon this. Why does there appear to be that eight hour gap between when the roommate who's still alive encountered the defendant and when that roommate then called 911 or when the 911
0: call was made? Thoughts? Yeah, massive mystery. I don't know if, you know, some people have actually opined that she may have passed out at that point in time. We don't know what her status was physically. How was it that the police, 911, wasn't alerted? We've got a huge gap of time. More information is going to come out, and we're going to find out what the status of DM is.
1: Oh, I can't wait for them to hunt this nut job down. Some Internet sleuths are theorizing that maybe she was drunk. Maybe. But she couldn't have been that drunk. Because she got an almost perfect description of him, right down to his eyebrows being bushy. His body type, muscular, but not big, athletic. In fact, that description was so good, the police would make use of it. She even nailed his height within two inches. She couldn't have been that out of it. I'm wondering, was she perhaps stoned? Maybe had smoked some marijuana, afraid if she called the police or done some other drug. afraid if she called the police, it'd be like an episode of Cops where they look in your eyes and they can tell. Maybe smell of marijuana in the house? I I can't, I'm trying to come up with something logical and I'm just struggling here. Because it only gets more bizarre. Wait, what? Oh yeah, it gets even crazier.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
1: Not only did it take eight hours after that for a call to be made from one of the two remaining roommates, we don't know which one, to the police... No, no, no. It's that they called someone else first. Wait, what? Think about this. You find your roommates brutally murdered, so brutally murdered that the first pictures of the Idaho house that go public show blood literally leaking out of the house down the side of the foundation. Remember those pictures? And what do you do? Any rational person would call 911. They'd be afraid for their lives. This genius called their friends to come over. And look at the scene. I know this is the me, me, me internet era. I mean, what were they trying to get the body pictures uploaded to YouTube? I can't wait to get the details on this. And I'm not the only one who thinks it's absolutely bizarre. Former FBI agent Jonathan Gilliam, a veteran of many of these kinds of crime scenes, said it was one of the strangest things he's ever seen in his life.
0: This was such a saturated uh, crime scene that morning when people actually called uh, other people that came there before police even got there. I find that to be the oddest, strangest thing I've just about ever heard.
1: This case will mark a milestone in a whole lot of ways. I talked about how they used family genealogy DNA from these databases people give their DNA to um, in a previous podcast. And how, even if your third or fourth cousin put the DNA in, they got you. And he left it behind. He left the sheath of the knife behind with the blood stain on it. You know how they ate, were able to realize it was him? They compared it to DNA in a genealogy database, traced it back to his family in, in Pennsylvania, and then agents hid out outside the house and stole the trash, basically, which is legal. Uh, took the trash, and were able to determine that, yep, that was his dad from his dad's DNA. Crazy. They've been doing this for about five years to catch killers. BTK was actually caught using his daughter's DNA sample that she left with a gynecologist. Crazy. That was the BTK killer. Um, But what's most interesting to me is that, in some ways, getting away with murder is going to become obsolete. You simply won't be able to do it. UK Daily Mail had a great interview uh, with one of those who specializes in these genealogy searches. And she was saying, look, most police departments are still not turning over DNA from their crime scenes to them if they can't get a match on CODIS, and that they should, because they can solve just about any murder, because it is almost impossible to, you know, be on any scene and not leave your DNA. Crazy, right? Almost as crazy as this moron, uh murderer, thinking that he could evade the police, Um, by not taking his cell phone to the scene of the crime. Did he not think they wouldn't go back for months in the record? They did. And they found him at the scene of the crime again and again as he stalked um, both the victims and the house. What does this mean, folks? Think about this for a minute. These technologies, the databases, the DNA databases, and them being searchable, the traceability of these calls, uh, 10 years ago, this might have been an unsolvable crime. I don't know if there are unsolvable murders anymore. That's a good thing, but it can be a bad thing too if you don't want to live in a total surveillance society. That's insane thing number four. You know, a total surveillance society like Joe Biden is building with your tax dollars. We learned this week that buried in the American Rescue Act, which passed last year, there was over $40 million worth of funding to build AI to detect and censor automatically, microaggressions and microaggressive speech on the internet yep those grants were spread among among a bunch of colleges and universities to build it but here's what's so scary even if you don't commit a thought crime or offend anyone this ai is so advanced that they're building and can build that it can detect from your writing patterns if you're the kind of person who thinks microaggressively and pre-censor you yep The federal government is building that with your money. And that's just one set of those grants. There was another one that the National Science Foundation, a government agency, also made. This is a separate set. Thirty eight point eight million. It was given to 42 different colleges and universities to research the science of stopping viral ideas, i.e., anything that's true. Some of the grants explicitly targeted, quote, populist politicians, unquote, and populist communications, quote unquote. So the government isn't even hiding it. They have politicians, including elected ones they don't like. So they want to just go ahead and erase them and their ideas. The AI can also counter populist narratives. The government isn't even hiding it. It doesn't even say untrue populist narratives. It's just ones the government doesn't like. Dear God, what kind of society will we live in? You can see why The federal government under the Democrats is doing this. We learned this week, this is insane thing number five from the Twitter files, that the State Department alone requested the shutdown of 250,000 accounts just at Twitter. And the vast majority of them weren't foreign. They were domestic. They included journalists, including CNN journalists. So you can see what's going on with the government. Those requests made by all those government agencies from the CIA to the Pentagon, the NSA, um, all of these foundations, all of these groups, all these government bureaucrats, and of course, members of Congress were also found to be shutting down accounts they don't like. So were the Senate Intelligence Committee members. Uh, Yeah, they just sit around in their Intelligence Committee meetings and pick out Twitter accounts they don't like. It's dominated by Democrats, of course, and uh, just send them over to Twitter to be shut down. This is outrageous, but you can also see it's unwieldy. Um, And in yesterday's podcast, Matt Taibbi, the reporter who broke it, um, disclosed that the censorship requests from the federal government and officials totaled over 10,000 emails. Well, that's a lot. That's why they need the AI, so they can just do it automatically from their nasty little hidey holes. Bunch of thugs they are. We've got to get a grip on this, folks, and we got to do it fast. And this is why that speakership race was so important. As I've told you before, Mitch McConnell, the minority leader of the Republicans in the Senate, and also the single most least popular by polling uh, elected official in Washington, has never said one word about censorship or condemned the FBI ever in any way. McCarthy was the same way up until about two months ago when he started talking about it occasionally on Fox. What does this tell you? And look, the 20 Republicans opposing McCarthy know this. The second he gets that gavel back, the second he wins, as of this recording, we're at 11 votes where Kev has lost, um, the censorship will be green flagged again by Kevin's silence. And nothing will stand between us and them, except the ability to control the funding. That'll fall back to the House because the budgets originate there. And that was why it was so important to the 20 opposing this, who, uh, folks, this week were called terrorists, right wing militia members on, get this, not MSNBC, on Fox News by people like Representative Dan Crenshaw, a Republican, for daring to oppose McCarthy's ascension to the speakership. McCarthy, a true thug himself, had already moved in, like some cheap squatter, to the Speaker's office days before the first boat. Who the heck does he think he is? Well, let me explain to you what they were fighting over. Because Fox News didn't really get around to that really well. Because you would have agreed with the 20. That's why. Uh, months before the Speaker's ship race, a list of demands was given to McCarthy, and they're very reasonable. One of the big ones that Congress members merely be given 72 hours to read the bills before they have to vote on them so that Kevin McCarthy and the lobbyists who write them can't hide anti-American junk like these algorithms the federal government is building in the bills. They don't want an agreement about this. They want a rules change because their staffs can't read the bills. And this is what they do. They'll release them. Kevin McCarthy's office will release them 1, 2 a.m. The votes at 9 And even with your full staff reading all night, you can't read it. And that's how they like it. And the Republicans are as bad as the Democrats at this. Mitch McConnell, the supposed leader of the Republicans in the Senate, did it to his own party members in December. They voted for it anyway. They also want to break up the bills so that they're not all clumped together in nine separate funding pots to give them a better chance of catching this stuff and fighting it before the vote. But mostly, Norman explained... This is because this country is going broke. The federal government will collapse if we don't get a handle on this. And they couldn't even get Kevin McCarthy to acknowledge this or to agree not to raise the budget ceiling again. In Washington, Representative Ralph Norman, my congressman here in the upstate, explained nobody cares about the $31 trillion of debt. They don't think that they'll ever have to repay it, or that it'll bother them if they do. But that's not true. There's a great conversation between um, Norman on the War Room podcast and Steve Bannon, where they talked about what just came out from the CBO, and it's terrifying. Just in December, we passed the omnibus that'll fund the government for the year. It's the budget, right? $1.7 trillion, with a T, a trillion of which we'll have to borrow and print. Five years from now, the interest on that, this year it was $400 billion, the interest. The interest in five years will be a trillion. The interest in 10 alone, before we can even fund a dollar of the budget or have a military, will be $1.9 trillion. Folks, we already can't afford a $1.7 trillion budget. We have to print a trillion dollars of it. What are we going to do when the interest on the debt we already have gets bigger than the entire budget? And we've got to print more than half of it to pay the interest. We're not going to. The federal government will collapse. And that was what Norman was trying to get McCarthy to agree to. No more debt limit increases.
0: If he doesn't understand that the debt is a problem after after he's lost six votes on the House floor, I don't know when he will. Uh, And we told him.
1: Personally, I'm eagerly awaiting the collapse of the federal government. It's the only thing that saves us from a Chinese-style social credit system, which we'll have in place in a few years at the rate that we're going here with all this AI and central bank digital currency. The collapse has to happen. Yeah, we won't have a military, and yeah, it'll probably take the economy down with it. But it's better than the alternative. Problem is, Ralph Norman explained, there's really only two types of politicians on the Hill right now, except for the 20 that are opposing the speakership. The Democrats... Who want to rush headlong into the collapse of the federal government and the Republican leadership who want to do it a little more slowly
0: I don't know how anybody if you call yourself a moderate, that's just saying I'm willing to uh, to bankrupt the country you know longer than what we the Democrats are doing but we got a short we got a short runway and that we're going to hold them accountable and uh, if it's not him it's going to be somebody that, that recognizes the, the financial problems that this country has, Today. Hopefully we'll see what, how that comes out. But again, we're not going anywhere. Again, our votes are solid.
1: Does that sound insane to you? Like a terrorist? Some kind of patriot militia member? No. No, that's a normal speaking. I guarantee if you pulled that, majorities of Democrats, Republicans and independents would be right on board. The terrorists, the insurrectionists, the truly insane are the ones in Democrat Republican leadership. In fact, what we learned in this speakership race is that there's only 20 sane people total on the Hill. As I record this, word is that McCarthy has given in to all their demands. So I don't know, we may have a new speaker by Monday. We'll see if they can hold him to it. McCarthy is famously dishonest. In fact, his mentor, who helped get him elected to Congress, another Congress member, a former Republican congressman from California warned this week that he's a liar and can't be trusted. Surely America can do better than this.
0: Battleground America with Tara Servatius. Please subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Share with friends, family and other free thinkers. Thanks for listening.